This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. After 20 years facilitating ancestral constellation healing workshops, Gary learned that life is a gift, no matter what it looks like or tragic events we and our forebears endured. We are here in spite of it all. The universe and life itself demands our presence. The price of admission is to adapt or die. Every species alive thrives in adversity and learns tenacity to strengthen its resolve. Everyone alive shares these traits. Honor the strength and leave the suffering in the past with those who passed, where it belongs. This is how to show reverence and honor all who came before. Our time is too short to do anything else. No matter how many deeply rooted secrets or dynamics may lie in the shadows of your family system, there is a way out of the darkness. It is simple, profound, and completely healing. If you are willing to do the work, Constellation Healing will lead you to a restoration of love, order, and harmony for yourself and all concerned. Remember this analogy. When you change one drop of water in the ocean, the whole ocean is changed, impacted, and adjusted. Valeria Tellis interviews Gary Stewart, the author of Healing History, Constellation Wisdom for the 21st Century. Gary Stewart is a three-time number one international best-selling author, speaker, and personal development expert with over 45 years of experience. He's a master constellation healing facilitator for over two decades. He has been featured on the Dr. Nandy Show globally for ABC TV, and also with Brian Gallo at NBC Palm Springs. His forthcoming book is Venus Envy, Busting the Male Misogyny Myth. A recent book is his Raising Your Harmonious Child, with co-authors Amit Goswami, PhD, and Carl David Black. Stewart has written Quantum Activation, Transforming Obstacles into Opportunities. He is also the best-selling author of AI Ancestral Intelligence, Constellation Insights from Beyond, and the AI Guided Journal. His other Constellation Healing books include Master Your Universe, How to Direct and Star in Your Own Life, plus Many Hearts, One Soul. Gary is the creator of the innovative Constellation Healing Oracle card deck. 
Meet Gary at GaryStewartHealing.com. Here is the interview with Gary Stewart. In your own words, who is Gary Stewart? Mm, wow, there's, <laughs> there's a question. Um, I'm a fierce seeker of truth. Uh, I have a strong social justice component of uh, equality and social justice, maybe different than the cancel culture about free expression. And I feel part of my sole mission this lifetime is to leave Earth with more love on it than when I arrived. Talk to me for a moment about what life is and is life energy and what is consciousness? Is that the same thing? Somehow different. Uh, yeah, bo both are intertwined, really, uh, because with the constellation work I do, we see that we can be as connected to the dead, those who aren't living, as much as the living. And uh, what they called it in shamanism with most indigenous cultures on the whole earth, whether it's Aborigine, Native American, or even Tibetan, is the life is, has a consciousness to it and it even exists after we die. So doing the transgenerational work or constellation work, we have access to your dead ancestors' messages to support you. So it's interesting that death can even support life if somebody's disembodied. That's what really drew me to constellation healing. It's like, what? We have access. So what they called it in indigenous cultures is being between worlds. So most of the shamans, especially in Native American cultures, cultures um, were regarded, let's say, higher regarded than the chief of the tribe because they had a connection to the spirit world that was stronger maybe than the chief of the tribe. So they were the go-to counselors. They were the go-to kind of keepers of wisdom. And we're talking about centuries before white men even came in and, and exterminated uh, most of 100 million Native Americans living on North America and South America, too. By reading some information about your work, wow, it's so um, generous and comprehensive that I have to go back to it. But what I got from it is that everything's interconnected and life is very supportive. Whatever this is, is trying to benefit at all in every way possible. Yeah, it always tries to find a way. So you would think people who had to endure the Holocaust in Auschwitz would never reproduce or want to have Jewish children if they escaped to New York or Europe after the Holocaust, but yet they did. So what is it about sexuality that overrides all our fears and even negative experiences of life? So you would think people wouldn't, and I have about 80% of my clients are women, and probably about 80% of those have been sexually abused, but yet they became mothers and grandmothers in spite of negative sexual things that happened to them, incest or whatever, as young girls. But yet somehow the sexual impulse to procreate or be a mother overrides the trauma that they experience. And that could have been with a father, grandfather, or uncle in their family when they were four, five, ten years old or whatever. So it's quite interesting how life is actually strong And does life also test us to keep us strong? If you look in the animal world, it's um, a mouse could be running in a field. It's fine. It has a little hole to go to. Well, there can be a hawk 
a thousand feet away that has its eye and talons out to have that mouse for lunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's like, sure, both are alive, but but you know, the hawk has to eat to live. The mouse has to hide to survive. But yeah, the life force is that sometimes I call life, this is going to sound kind of weird, but the most vicious, bloodthirsty force ever created. If you look at the big fish, little fish, uh, uh, the fight to survival and what humans will even do, say there's the plane crash, I believe with me was in the Andes, and they started to eat the other passengers who were dead to survive. So what is it about our primal desire to survive that we throw all our beliefs out the window so that we can survive? That makes me think about what you said, um, what you say, it's beautiful, that this is a gift. Life is a gift. I call it a miracle is the same thing. It, it is. So is that about the experience of being a human body that's very attractive uh, to... <laughs> So, but, but, you know, if we look at all the negatives from our, we inherited from our family system, a lot of people are so, myself, I'm as guilty as anyone looking at all the negatives. Probably for 40 years of therapy, I looked, I was a battered child. My parents did this, they did that. They didn't appreciate me. They didn't build me up, blah, blah, blah. And now that I get older, I see, well, that was my fate with my parents in my childhood. And what I liken myself is to being from L.A. originally, here, not originally from Boston, but being in L.A. for 30 years, when I see a weed growing out of asphalt, how did that weed, that dandelion, find enough water in a, in a dry thing and enough dirt to get roots inside of concrete and stay there until someone chops it off or drives over it. So what is it about the life force that can sustain itself with very little nourishment, but just enough to stay alive? I feel like that's a testament to my life and a lot of people. What we do discover in the constellation work I do is we ignore the miracle that we survived it, that somehow our ancestors had enough strength to overcome a Holocaust, or if you're Irish, a famine, if you're a Russian Jew persecution long before Hitler. There were extermination programs of Jews hundreds of years before Hitler put the cherry on the anti-Semitic cake. And how did all of those people survive? And we're here because of their survival skills, which is a miracle that, they number one, they survived. Number two, they still wanted to have sex and procreate. And number three, we're here because of that, maybe in a different country because that's what it took to survive, to leave the old world, to come to the new world. It is really amazing when you start rationalizing these things, how it came to be. I'm always amazed by, like, what is this? (laughs) Like this voice talking to you now, this is amazing. (laughs) It is a gift. But it's really a challenge to see that when we are going through challenges, right, Gary? Absolutely. Well, you know, lots of families will have a negative mindset, and we inherited that negative mindset as well. So for for me, I I think the healing work that I've done has impacted my family on a conscious level. But if you really look at the family systems or whole societies are sharing consciousness, remember, Hitler thought he was doing God's work, that he was trying to cleanse, you know, Germany uh, to make it survive and be a great country. Of course, it's misguided and and eventually considered an insane, but most people start with a divine idea that God is supporting them. And then it just goes, you know, goes awry when it's not really the truth. It was kind of a, an, an insane pipe dream. You know what I mean? So with that in mind, what is your message for 
the signs. Um, how do we know when we are on the path of unconditional love, of love? Well, I, I think when you can see, if you really start with your family, because most of us have most of our baggage with our family. Sure, there's enough people to blame in society mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> or experiences we see outside of us. But if you can have unconditional love for your family and appreciation and know whatever they're carrying They may be carrying something heavy and dark, so you don't have to carry it. Bert Hellinger, the developer of Constellations, actually women really developed it uh, under psychotherapy in Germany. And they asked Bert Hellinger, the developer of the term Constellations, to participate. Well, they were exploring expanded consciousness, and Bert fell in love with it. And he said, oh, this is like a pictograph of your family system. And why is the star over here? Why is the father star over there? Why is the moon mother over here? What is the separation between the parents? Oh, there's a hidden lover. So we get to really have a unique experience seeing what's hidden in family systems that was never talked about, but is like the elephant in the room. So talk to me for a moment. Actually, there's something that I read, not sure, on your website, on your book. You say, we are spiritual beings living within an eternal universe where time and space are an illusion. Everything appears to be interconnected as if all existence was happening in the now. Talk to me about non-duality and its principle. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, uh, one of the best ways that Constellations really showed me that, I mean, I've read tons of books my entire life. I've really been an avid reader and experiencer of other dimensions through ayahuasca, sacred plants, and things like that. So I've really been on a healing journey, God, for probably almost 50 years now. Yeah, easily 50 years. And um, with Constellations, the fact that I, my one of my first things in the living room in Brentwood, California, I got a download. They said, would you represent a great-grandfather for this client? I didn't know the client's name. All of a sudden, I got, he lived on a farm. The soil was dead. Uh, he died depressed. Everyone went to the new world to survive. He stayed on the homeland till he died. And that was my first experience of the work. I said, where did this come from? I didn't, I don't know this person. How did this happen? So mind you, this guy might have been dead in 1850 or 1860. So how in 1998 did I tune in? I didn't consider myself psychic. And I was there like, what is this? This guy had to be dead for a hundred something years. And I'm here to communicate to his great, great granddaughter my experience in an alleged therapeutic session in the living room, uh, it was I was blown away beyond belief. So that really showed how the dead are connected to the living and how it's like we're part of their, let's say we're part of their physical conscious field, but they have dissolved into the unconscious field and both are existing simultaneously. Right. Wow. That really resonates. Everything's happening in the now and it can be felt, it can be perceived, right? If we pay attention. I have a question for you about the healing journey. We all have our own healing journeys to document, to write about. I have one, so many of my guests. When it comes to that, does it have an end, Gary? Healing yeah, I would, or? I would say death. 
probiotics. <laughs> yes, that makes sense. But I don't think it ends with death <laughs> yeah. because we see. Well, I was working with a client uh, distance. Uh, what was it on uh, a Zoom? A Zoom call. Okay, so we were working on some issues uh, about what was blocking her success. Something, and all of a sudden, her grandfather showed up. And this, uh, I can do one on one. I prefer group work because I can put other people in. It's like being the director of a movie when you see yeah. all the cast and the players. You can see what the movie is about. But I can do it in a one-on-one session. And all of a sudden, I said, oh, I'm your grandfather, and I see a picture on my desk of a little girl in a yellow dress with a white ruffle collar smiling, and that means the world to me. That picture, the client was like falling off, and the client is a therapist, mind you. That is the picture she inherited from her grandfather when he died of her as a little girl. And she, so I knew that I was tapped in to his dead, allegedly dead conscious energy, which is very much alive in my body, to communicate her that she still has a link to him. And then maybe some of the problems he had in life, she's creating in her life to show a pattern of love towards him. So there's symbolic patterns of love, and then there's real love. That, that, that's something we should probably speak about, uh, how we act out love as opposed to just feeling the unconditional love and acceptance without having to change anyone. I love that, Gary. Please talk to me a bit more about that unconditional love. Lots of times in family systems, we feel, Bert Hellinger, my original teacher, he said to be alive is to be guilty. It's like we feel we receive so much by getting a body through the sexual experience of our parents or whoever created us, could have been a boyfriend, one night stand, whatever. And But we still received our body in our life. So he felt that we always felt we have to pay back the family, like we owe them for being alive because of whatever they did to get us here. And that we would suffer. So if the mother's not happy, we would share the depression with her. If the mother was unhappy and she needed a clown to make her happy, the child would become a clown to make the mother smile because she was so sad. And we all kind of feel we have a job to do in our family system to pay back the gift of life that we received. Now, the irony is we don't. We're alive of our own volition. Of course, we need the support as infants to have our diapers changed and be fed to make it till we're self-sufficient. But at the same time, we feel it's a respect. In a way, it's a respect, even though a lot of people disrespect their family system. In a way, we respect them for giving us life, so we want to help. When I look at little kids in a grocery store trying to lift a heavy bag into the cart for the mother, and it's bigger, the, the bag is bigger than the child, but this three-year-old thinks it can lift a big bag and wants to help its mother or do something and to, to help. It's like, even though it's, it's uh, probably just part of our birthright that we want to give gifts to those who gave us life. And that goes on. Of course, it can turn ugly. I was a violently abused child, so I was so traumatized with anger. I I hated my family and didn't want to be like them. And I made promises to myself when I was beat up on the floor with whips as an 8 to 12-year-old boy that I'm never going to grow up like these people. If I ever have kids, I'm never going to treat a human being this way. How can they do this? What, you know. And, and I knew then, so some part of me held on to what I felt was the truth, that I didn't deserve it. And even though I was being bludgeoned probably at least two to three times a week, if not more. So that, I'm wondering here, how can we transcend that? This is a deep 
connection, guilt, as you call it, it's true, that we must now do what it takes to please. It might be the where that people-pleasing really starts, right? It was my case, too. Yeah, yeah. It's like you want approval. You want approval. Like a lot of parents, you know, they've done the uh, scientific studies, the psychological studies, so that a child every day hears 435 no's and three yeses. So when we when we as adults say, I have a negative internal self-critic, well, who is that? Was that our mother? Was that our father? Now, the irony is they're doing it to protect us, but they're also giving us tons of fear. Don't go near the stove. Don't cross the street. Put your shoes on, you'll get pneumonia. Do this, do that. No, don't do that. Why do you want to do No, you can't have a, you know, it's when you look at what a child goes through every day, it's just exhausting. <laughs> Yeah, yes, <laughs> tell me about it. it. No less yes. having 10 years of your childhood from like 5 to five to 12 or 13. Then, of course, when it's a teenager, no, you can't drive the car. No, you can't do this. You'll have an accident. <laughs> you know, so, so in a way, it's protection. They're trying to protect their offspring, you know, from a parental point of view. But from the child point of view, it's I can't do anything right. Everything I want to do is wrong. What's the matter with me? Why do I keep, you know, and the child's own life force is trying to have a lifetime experience. And it's like, you know, just really contained. So uh, there's a good part of that because children... And I've met people whose children didn't really give a give a damn about them. And there was damage from that. And and so there's a place where there's overprotection and overstructure or underprotection and understructure. Somewhere there there has to be a middle point where I did write a book, Raising Your Harmonious Child, which I released uh, last December, and it's about everything you do in the present moment has a hundred year impact after you die. So the message you give your child now, if they're extremely negative, they're going to grow up to be a negative parent or negative grandparent. And they'll say, who are the SOBs that made my parent or grandparent so angry? So it's really going to create disdain in the future. Now, why wouldn't a parent, and I'm not a parent, nor do I play one TV, but why parent discuss, like, if the child says, why? Why do you have this rule? Wouldn't it behoove the parent to talk to the child? Because, you know, I've heard of other kids being run down in the street by a car. Someone was drunk driving and I'd never want to lose you because I love you. And it's that's why I'm telling you this. If you educate the child to what the rules and the boundaries are, you're having a communication with them rather than saying, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. And I guess it's a shortcut with parenting, but if you really co-create this new being to educate them, I think the being will have a better future and you'll have a better reputation after you die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll leave a, a much more harmonious legacy. Yeah, uh, and a positive, a positive impact as opposed to negative. How did you come to this space of unconditional love and what I call freedom, liberation? How do we do it? <laughs> well, I, I think it's actually quite simple if you can get there. I mean, you know, uh, there's lot, lots of therapies. I'm not the only therapy out there if you're stuck in the paper bag of your own making. But uh, one, one phrase that I put, I think I put it in Healing Human History, no one asked for what life gave them. So here's me being a battered child. Okay, that's my experience of my childhood. My father was in Omaha Beach on D-Day watching all his fellow soldiers. It brings tears to my eyes now. So I'm probably carrying his grief still. 
what that's 1944 and now it's, and I still so maybe he didn't get to process the grief and uh, right now it feels like I am for him and he's been dead since 1966 so what about that killed his heart, so to speak? Killed his humanity, being shot at by Nazis, killing Nazis all the way to Germany and back. And then, of course, all the soldiers who came back had sex like rabbits and created baby boomers. One thing I put in Healing Human History, uh, 75 to 85 million people died in World War II globally. And the American soldiers who came back had created... 75 to 80 million baby boomers. Now look at the planetary scale. Hitler created great death. And then post-Hitler, do you think Hitler had an unintended consequence of balancing out the life scale with 80 million children who were anti-violence? 90%. I was a hippie during the Vietnam era, and I was actually going to move to Canada if they tried to draft me. Luckily, I didn't. I got a high lottery number. But look at the planetary balance. The whole world experienced great death. Within 15 years after the great death came a wave of life. So that's like an un unintended consequence, how life, death, balance each other out. Planet. It's, it's just so interesting. When you step back and you look at Earth and its history, you see a very different view and it gives you much more compassion. Ah, yeah, I love that idea that we can come to that realization, that seeing, that vision of the big picture, right? It really feels and it seems like it's doing the, the balance, it's trying to balance. It's all about balance, really, everything here. And nature, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, we are nature, everything in it, Earth and everything, it, the whole universe is trying to... Uh, it's not trying, it's doing what it does naturally. Right, naturally. An and animals are in balance. I mean, the sad thing is I look at a cow in a field, it's totally in nirvana, eating grass or whatever. It doesn't know it's going to go to slaughter and be a hamburger at a supermarket, you know. So I see that cause. You know, you could say the universe operates on cause and effect, you know. And, of course, there can be a positive outcome or negative outcome. And uh, But generally, it's all evolving. The whole universe is evolving. So I think if we're present with the whole universe now, we ourselves are evolving the universe inside of ourselves and outside of ourselves. And I just wrote a blog about a uh, blog, which I'll send you. It's when we heal one, we heal all. Because when we do a constellation in a group, everyone in the room has some semblance of grief or anger or trauma that the working client has. So by them watching it or participating in someone else's healing, they're healed through osmosis. Talk to me about the uh, Ancestor Constellation Healing Session. Generally, in a one-on-one, -on -one, it would be me. You know, I, I perfected Zoom. I was worried about the field of consciousness coming through Zoom, but it's as, it's as accurate as if I was in a workshop. But generally, in a workshop, which I do in Sedona, and we have the place wired so somebody can be on my computer uh, seeing their own constellation unfold in real time while they're on it. If they can't be there, I can tape it on Zoom, and then they'll get to watch it at their convenience if they're in a European time zone or Australian time zone. So we would have a group of people, say during an afternoon, three to four people are working clients. They have an issue. I want to be more profitable in my business. I'm plagued by depression. Whatever their goal is, we shoot for the highest goal. There's, I'm totally happy in my life. I'm filled with joy, with grace and ease. We don't even mention depression. We know that's why they're there, but we want them to get to a place of joy. So we'll set up uh, one person to be them 
And mind you, they're not told anything about the client. I know the family history. The client knows their goal. The rep does not know anything. So they're tuning into the raw energy of the client, and they might say, oh, I'm collapsing on my right side. Boom, I know that there's something wrong with the father line there. They might say, oh, my left arm is tingly, and my left foot is numb. Then I know the mother, their mother, Either they had an abortion or their mother or grandmother had a miscarriage or abortion. So we track and we'll add another woman behind them to see if they're carrying that energy in their body. Now, mind you, no one knows. Clients are blown away because sometimes they didn't tell me what's on their questionnaire and it's showing up in the field as truth. And someone said, my mother never had a miscarriage. I said, the field never lies. And I'm not trying to make you a liar either. Sure enough, they had went and we tell them not to investigate their parents after they do this, let the energy settle. Sure enough, the mother said, yes, I did have a miscarriage. I never want you to know. Here it showed up in the field. They went to their mother. They asked them and it was true. And they said, oh my God. I said, the field doesn't lie. It's how we interpret it. And sometimes I can say what you're watching your rep go through could be what your great-grandmother went through. That happened uh, two weeks ago. The client was looking at that, and I said, no, that's your great-grandmother. So I'll bring the client again of them in the present time witnessing their ancestor in ancestral time. And mind you, that ancestor's probably been dead for 100 years. But yet that energy of unresolved trauma is being carried by the granddaughter that the grandmother didn't get to finish before she died. So we're completing it for the realm of the dead and the living simultaneously. And if the client working as children, it's disappeared in their children because we finally resolved it. And this is something that have the healing happens not only at the um, intellectual level. It's also energetic, right, Gary? The resonance. Yeah, it's, it's okay. both. Both of the and culture. I had a lot of cultural stuff because a lot of uh, I'm really uh, aware of misogyny in the world. My next book is going to be about misogyny in the world. How women have not been allowed to have their voice and have been oppressed. I, I really believe the first ism wasn't Nazism or this ism. It really was sexism that started with the Bible with Adam and Eve, Eve being the evil one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, that makes and sense. people yeah. believe that, but it's in the it's embedded in the Judeo-Christian culture, more the Christian culture, because they, they worship that book, which might be someone's opinion and not real. So, um, yeah, it's, it's important. So I'm very aware when we're working that that woman might have suffered, say, that grandmother, great-grandmother, because she wasn't even allowed to speak being a female. And that she had to shut up because if the husband divorced her, she wouldn't have a roof over her head or a job to – women didn't work back then to feed the children. So she might have had, a, had to be quiet and suffer in silence so she could keep the family going. But that was never looked at, and it shows up really quickly in the cons constellation. So my job is to li liberate women – and women to get their voice back. And we're not diminishing men, but, you know, as they say, it's a man's world. And, you know, they're standing on top of a squash woman to make life happen. So I always celebrate the feminine and get the power and strength back. Because if you really look what's happening with the corporate rape of Mother Earth, that's misogyny acted out on the planet. That we have total disregard for our natural environment and we look at just take and use and destroy it and forget about it. You made your money, now leave it a mess, you know? And that's like a macrocosm of misogyny in the corporate world, but the microcosm is in a family system.
Please let me know when the book is out. I would love to talk to you about that. Definitely before January. And it's called Venus Envy, Busting the Male Misogyny Myth. And it hurts men as well because men aren't allowed to be sensitive or caring or tender because that's weak. You've got to be strong. You've got to have no emotions. So it's hurting both genders. And it's a false ideology. Humanity is operating on a false ideology. Absolutely. Uh, it's so many of them. Yes, yeah, some of them. Oh, absolutely. Right. Uh, well, thank you so much for saying that um, because it is it is true. I mean, I'm a woman. I know. Ah, what it took to be here yeah. <laughs> today. <laughs> but who that has the strength? Easy. Here's the big thing. How many women who could grow up that oppressed in human civilization for thousands of years, and yet it, what kills me is they are birthing the future of the species. Shouldn't they be put on a pedestal instead of denigrated? Like they're less, you know, and uh, so that's what uh, my my internal, let's say, North Star compass just wants to really address those issues and get it out there in a big way. Uh, it gives me goosebumps. <laughs> oh wow! I um, question the answer at a spiritual center I go to, and she said, "Okay, the minister." She said, "Okay, what's no?" Everyone was afraid to raise their hand. Yeah, so I said, "Who birthed God?" <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Great question. Um, I mean, it is an answer in itself. And the question and the answer exactly, is the same. Exactly. You talked in your book about something interesting that caught my attention. You say it is important to point out that in family constellation healing work that we do does not forgive anyone for past behaviors or actions. So forgiveness. Yeah, so the, the context that we mean that in is to forgive someone. Say you forgive your mother, and in a way I do. She was pretty violent to me, or even my father. Not forgiveness, but, but when you forgive someone, you make yourself bigger than the parent. Well, if they created you out of a sperm and egg, who are you to say, I'm God, I will forgive you, you're my parent. So there's an arrogance in that, and we find that even though it's popular in the culture, we find... It's more powerful. I accept you as my mother. You're the, either say you're the best mother for me and everything that's negative that I experience with you, mom, I leave with you. It belongs to you and my grandmother and those women who came before or father, either, either or. I have negative experience with both, so I just use that first. And that frees the child from either the superiority that they're bigger than their parents. So Hellinger um, had a theory that life starts, like imagine your ancestors are a mountain. The top of the mountain is your great-great-grandfather, then a rock on the side of the mountain is your grandfather, then at the bottom of the mountain is your father or mother, and then you were the stream at the foot of the mountain. So for the stream to say to the mountain, you did it all wrong, it's insane. That's insane. How can you say the mountain that might have snow on the top, that the snow melted, put you there in the stream of life, literally and figuratively, you're saying the mountain's bad for being there? So that's extreme arrogance. So forgiveness creates that kind of arrogance where if you're in the stream, say, boy, I wish there was a bigger stream, but thank you for allowing me to flow. And you hold on to the heavy rocks of the negative energies, that you, the weather that you had to go through to stay, stay standing there, and I'll just flow in life freely. That is a very refreshing perspective on forgiveness that I have 
come across before and really made sense to me. A lot yeah, of sense. It's, we call it acceptance over forgiveness. I, I have essay I wrote. It might be in one of my books. I forget which one, but I, I can send it to you. And it explains. It's a very subtle, but now we can forgive ourselves. Like I could forgive myself. Why did I? Why did I hold this grudge against my mother so long? Why wouldn't I let it go? So you know, we can be angry at ourselves for putting up with stuff. So we can forgive ourselves for being human and not being compassionate. You know, I mean, like me not being compassionate with my father. Now that I'm turned 70 this year, I can see that, wow, he didn't ask, well, he was forced probably into World War II as a soldier at that time, but he didn't ask to be kill people and do all this. So, of course, it hardened his heart. He died very young of a horrible cancer that literally, I think, survivor guilt ate him up alive. And he always said, you know, I wish I died on the beach. I wish I died on the beach. And I never knew what he meant. Why is he talking about beach and death? Then I saw Saving Private Ryan in the 80s or 90s. And the opening scene was almost, was the beach uh, scene. And I was like staggered out of the theater. I said, now I understand my whole life in a different way. And it gave me much more compassion. Wow, he survived that. And I'm here because he survived it. So during my work, when a father representative came into a group consolation I did with fellow trainees, the person who didn't know my father was in World War II, she happened to be German too, ironically. It was like a positive payback. She said, I have all these dead people at my feet and I can't move. And I knew that was my father on Omaha Beach. He couldn't move. And so that opened up my heart to see that he, he was like last man standing. He got to be alive. And because he was a good killer, I got to be alive. So how does the perpetrator side of my father, sure, he perpetrated against me. But if he wasn't an A-list killer of Nazis, I would never be born. Maybe I'd be a German boy who discovered Hellinger post-World War II in Germany. You know what I mean? Uh, but it ended up my fate was to be a baby boomer post-World War II. So how much baggage? So here, here's an elevated way to look at it. I hold all the Germans he killed as brothers. So even though I, I was the oldest with six sisters, uh, no brothers, I hold those Germans my father killed probably in the prime of their life, 18 to 22, enlisted by Hitler, as fallen brothers due to my father. And so I hold even the Nazis in my heart with unconditional love because I wouldn't be here without the sacrifice. Um, you're the strong American, I'm the weak Nazi. I die, you live. Go for I love the word you use, elevated, yeah, perspective, vision. That's what it is. It's coming from the heart. It's really, yeah, yeah. You're seeing the big, big picture of it all. Yeah, and uh, for all sides, all yeah. sides. That is so beautiful. Now the goosebumps everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's just the most beautiful thing I can think of intellectually. But this is it. In a way, we are acting out our own conditionings and pain of mind, body, and just um, passing that on. And it's not really a hope. I don't like the idea of having hope because I trust life and I know that it's doing what it does for a reason. And perhaps one day we'll realize that this has been a beautiful dream regardless of the pain. Yeah. 
<laughs> on my ayahuasca journey, some of my journeys, I came up with the phrase, life is a beautiful nightmare. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that too. <laughs> and that's the yin and yang yeah. and yeah. The, the positive and negative. So we didn't get into it all, but don't forget, we wouldn't get to the positive if we didn't have a negative that inspired us to change. So there's something about the contrast of negative pushing us to the positive. So if we throw out all the negative, we may be throwing out the gasoline that's pushing us, the fuel that's pushing us to the positive. So we don't throw out the negative. That's a messenger that someone needs, someone or something needs to change. And if we embrace that, use that as energy, then we can get back to the positive. I love that phrase. Yeah, life is a beautiful nightmare. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting all together. We tend to kind of make it only beautiful, try to want life to be this beautiful thing. But it's both ugly and beautiful. Yes, absolutely. And can we embrace the duality? See, to embrace the duality of that truth is unified consciousness. That we, uh, Albert Einstein had a beautiful quote, very simple. He said, What I feel genius is, now he was considered the genius of the 20th century, is the ability to hold two opposing thoughts in your head at the same time. And we look today what's happening with the, the vaccine movement, anti-vaccine. Can we hold both and see both sides of what we feel is the truth simultaneously without rejecting either side, making your own choice? It's all about personal empowerment, but just holding the duality of what's put before us. And if you look at Native American prophecy, the age that we're in now is called the age of separation. And nothing is separating us more than political stuff, the woke culture the racial, now it's health is separating us. Here's the good news. The next age, we're at the end of one age right now, so it's getting really testy for all human beings on earth. Like, say, the group consciousness of all human beings now is being tested. And the, the name of the next age, according to the Native Americans and the Kali Yugas of India, well, uh, they called it the golden age is coming, and the Native Americans called the age of illumination is the next age. Mm. So we're on the cusp. We have to go through purification to get to the next stage, which means the old has to die, and the phoenix that will come out of the ashes is enlightenment. So we're on the cusp right now. I thought we would be a little sooner, like you know, 2012 or 2021. Maybe it's 20. Maybe it's 2025. Who knows? But we're on the cusp of a great realization, and uh, I hope we get it sooner than later. Yeah, it feels very much like it from here, yeah, from this body perspective. It, it feels like something is shifting. And I wonder if that, I mean, we all want to peace on earth and this uh, beautiful experience of unification. Has that ever happened before, Gary? On Earth, yeah, actually, we had different. Uh, in studying my book, Venus Envy, we've had thousands of years of it. Now, you'll never guess what the common denominator was with peace on Earth. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. Sneak preview to my yeah. book. <laughs> I've been researching for a year, so it's ten thousand years of history. I'm getting into a hundred pages, so it's slightly stressful. Uh, it was worship of the feminine. God ah, was a woman. The creator really? of the universe was a woman for 7,000 years before Christianity and every culture on earth. All of a sudden, the northern cultures, and I'm not blaming any culture, ancient people who lived in the north, whether it's Germany, Finland, uh, Vikings, made God a male 
who wanted to kill and dominate with a vengeance to take property and subjugate the female. And all the females, then the group consciousness decided to make females property of males. And not all of them read Genesis, mind you. This was like a, a conscious evolution. So the North came to the South, which would be Greece, Italy, uh, Turkey, wherever. They invaded and conquered and destroyed all the goddess temples and said the male god is superior to the female. Hence, this is the birth of misogyny that we were speaking about before. And all the female cultures were egalitarian. That means everyone was cooperating, everyone had food, everything was shared equally. Really an idyllic thing. And it's so interesting on a cultural thing, the negative ways the world has changed with this warlike mentality. I've always wondered why are we doing this on Earth? Then went back when I went back in time, seven to ten, it's called the Neolithic and Paleolithic eras. Uh, and it was all female dominated and peaceful and fruitful. Now, are we trying to learn a lesson as a species by the male dominating the female, seeing it doesn't work, then this will empower the female to come back into vogue, so to speak. And because we realize the follies of the male thinking of domination and control, who knows? Hopefully we will in my lifetime, but that's why I'm a champion of the feminine because I feel they've gotten a raw deal worse than any. I mean, you could say the first slaves, regardless of race, have been females. It goes back to balance. It seems Absolutely. like yeah, it's trying to, life is just dancing. It's, it's that yeah, movement yeah. of... That's uh, a beautiful way to put it. Just the, and are we experiencing the dance between the masculine and feminine, and now the feminine is rising? And I personally feel, one reason I feel so passionate about that is if Mother Earth is in the balance. So if we don't change the balance of power here, we're going to exterminate the planet for male profit rather than have a more sustainable way of living, which will have the same amount of prosperity, only we'll be caring about how we take it, what we do with the goods after they're, they've been used or whatever, recycled or whatever, or melted down to make new stuff for the next generation without all this waste and uh, want destruction for profit. The word you use is an elevated perspective, way of being, way of living, right? Uh, we all love that, but uh, we got to keep in mind that that's that dance again, this, um, the, the, the balance. So we cannot have only good happening. It is part of life, uh, the paradox of yeah, dark and, and light. Right? domination pushing us as the negative force to birth the female, too. So, you know, even stepping back on a planetary, looking at the whole planet, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, that's um, a very... Uh, I don't even call it deep, but it's beyond really uh, comprehension, uh, isn't uh, it? <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> beyond knowledge in a way. Yeah, it's yeah. really, uh, it's beautiful. What is another word for healing? Conscious realization. What are three things you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body? Um, a number one, compassion, appreciation for the gift that the time they've been given and to make the most of that time. I mean, if you look at our the American Constitution, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that pretty much sums it up for everyone, every human on earth, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, thank you so much. 
for your presence, the work you do, how you do it. I love your passion. The energy can be felt oh, <laughs> even you. before we talked and everything else in between. Thank you so much for being you the way you are. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about your books, products, services, and future projects? Sure, yeah. Uh, my website, Gary Stewart Healing, www.garystewartstuarthealing.com. I got tons of blogs, information, videos there. It's really well put together. And if you go to Amazon, Gary Stewart, um, I have a author website. Well, Amazon creates the author, author central, they call it. Uh, or just type in the name of the book, uh, Healing Human History or Quantum Activation or Raising Your Harmonious Child. I get a ton up there. And then just you hit the Gary Stewart author and it will show, well, I'm up to 13 books now. <laughs> Wonder, I'll have those links on your podcast oh, profile. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gary. We'll talk soon. Okay, thank you. Namaste. And thank everyone, all your listeners, too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Gary Stewart and his work, please visit GaryStewartHealing.com. more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.